You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone, Tim McMaster here along with our MLB.com Yankees reporter, Brian Hoke. And, Brian, the offseason continues to roll around. We're checking in on some different stuff. Another one of the Yankees' young prospects has made one of Pipeline's top ten lists. We'll get into that. But let's start with a little bit of news or the best we can do about saying it's news, and that's an update on you, Darvish, the latest being that uh, he has reportedly received an offer from the Milwaukee Brewers. So when everybody thought the Dodgers were the mystery team, uh, maybe it was the Brewers. Who knows? But the latest is that the Brewers have reportedly given him an offer, um, possibly five years. What does this mean for the Yankees chasing of Darvish? Well, I've always thought that the Yankees were just kind of hanging on the periphery to see if his price would drop significantly. And maybe they could swoop in at the end of January and steal him for a you know, a shorter-term contract. I, I don't think they're willing to go five years with Darvish. Um, I, I know there was a report out there that they had given him an offer like that. That turned out not to be true. Um, it's, it's a strange situation with him. Um, I know that he tweeted that the Yankees gave him an offer, but I have it on good authority that they never did. So kind of a fishy situation all around with Darvish. Maybe he was trying to drum up some interest there, but uh, I've, I've thought all along it would be a long shot for him to wind up in the Bronx. They would have to move a lot of things around. Um, you've heard Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner talk about wanting to be under $197 million to reset the luxury tax. And I, I just didn't see any way they could add Darvish without unloading another one of their big contracts, whether that be Jacoby Ellsbury, whether it be Dave Robertson, maybe a Brett Gardner. Uh, they'd love to do Ellsbury and add Darvish, but I, I think that moving his contract is going to be a little – tougher than anybody really sees coming. So I think that uh, Darvis, a long shot to wind up in the Bronx. I, I've thought that all along, and I still continue to think that in the wake of the Milwaukee offer. And not necessarily a huge need for you, Darvish, on this rotation. Obviously, it would be an upgrade to the staff as a whole. But they did bring back CC Sabathia, one year, $10 million, which makes the need to add another pitcher a little less important. And CC was on MLB Network this week, and he had some fun things to say. Always a fun interview is CC Sabathia. Uh, the best quote I saw in it, Brian, was, CC said, last year we were the team that everyone loved and were that feel-good story, but getting Giancarlo gets us back to being the team that everyone hates. That's what we like. We want to go out there and put the best team on the field and crush everyone every game. Uh, it's a great quote, and it just fuels the fire that the Yankees are back to being the Yankees. Yeah, you know, CC was among those who really got excited last year at the trade deadline when the Yankees added uh, Sonny Gray, and then a bunch of players in the deal with the White Sox. They were really upgrading and trying to boost themselves for a postseason run. And I remember CC saying at that time, we're back. We're back to the same old Yankees now. And I think this is just a continuation of that. And, you know, as he mentioned, the Yankees were actually a likable team last year. And, and for even fans who hate the Yankees, and there are plenty of them, I think that it was tough to look at a team of Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino and, and say, I, oh, I hate the Yankees. But I think that now they're going to have a villain in, in Stanton, and he's obviously got a huge contract, huge power. 
Um, when he comes into Fenway Park, the boos are going to be very, very loud. And uh, there was a little bit of that last year for Judge. I remember a game in Chicago where the fans got him in a right field, but it was never really as strong as it was back in the, say, the A-Rod days when he was the biggest star on the team. And Jeter was uh, on the team, Posada, Pettit, those guys, Mariano. Um, that was when the Yankees coming to town was really an event for a road city, and I feel like it's going to be that way again this year. CC uh, was obviously a free agent, got a chance to talk to other teams, and he did talk to other teams, but it feels like then when he was a free agent and now that he signed with the Yankees that the return to the Bronx was really inevitable. I thought it was, and the one thing interesting that he dropped on that uh, interview was that he did talk to the Brewers about going back to Milwaukee, and uh, the Brewers, as we've mentioned, are a team that's looking for pitching, and it's not surprising to hear that they've gone after Darvish because if they were in on Sabathia, that would make sense in a, in a lot of ways. So I think that uh, the Angels, the Blue Jays, the Brewers are the three teams we know of that went after Sabathia. I wouldn't be surprised if there were more. He's coming off a very strong year and obviously was willing to do a shorter-term commitment, but I, I thought all along he's relocated his family to New York. He lives about 10 miles from Yankee Stadium. Uh, this, this is where he wanted to be. He's talked about there being unfinished business. He wants to win one more World Series with the Yankees uh, to add to the ring from 2009. And, and as he said uh, many, many times, this is home for him. So I was not surprised to see Sabathia come back. That would be pretty cool, too, when you think about adding a ring for, and then being basically part of two separate Yankees rosters. I mean, when you think about way back in 09 versus if he was to add one in uh, this year or, or next, if he stuck around for another year, it'd be pretty remarkable to kind of span that stretch and that, quote, rebuild, unquote. Uh, Brian Cashman is used to going to the Boston area up into New England and getting booed. Certainly that is the general consensus when he's up there as the general manager of the Yankee. But he got celebrated a little bit this week. Uh, he was honored by the Boston chapter chapter of the BBWAA as executive of the year. And he said some good stuff. I, he talked about the rivalry a little bit, and he talked about um, the Red Sox ownership. And, and in his mind, this rivalry is as good as ever. And, and a lot of stuff from Cashman, a lot of respect, obviously, for the Red Sox organization. I don't know if the fan, real true diehard fans of either team likes to hear that stuff, but, but it is refreshing from an objective standpoint, I think. Yeah, and the one thing is the rivalry on the field is something, but you always hear this from the players and the front office executives as well, is that the rivalry is really for the fans. You know, Red Sox fans hate the Yankees. We know that. Yankee fans hate the Red Sox. And when those two teams go to battle, those nine innings that they're on the field, I mean, that is, it's a blood fight. But I feel like the players are chummy with each other. The front office executives are are tight. You know, I, I know that Brian Cashman and Theo Epstein had a good relationship. He sat right next to Dave Dombrowski at, at that event. And, you know, Cash is never going to run for mayor in Boston, put it that way. But he's, uh, he, he does come up with the team all the time. And um, it, it's just a fun atmosphere to be a part of. And, but I think it does speak volumes that a Yankees general manager would be honored by the Boston media as the executive of the year. And I think that uh, for the Red Sox front office, they got to kind of look at that and say, you know, maybe we got to step it up this year. Uh, so I, I think it, the rivalry's fun. Uh, it's alive and well. It is. I think that, as I mentioned, when Stanton goes to Fenway for his first time wearing those road grays, it's going to be an event. Um, I think the fans are going to be really fired up for that. Uh, and I think that uh, the Yankees are not nearly as likable as they were 
last year, as, as far as the other 29 teams are concerned, I'm sure that Yankee fans are going to like them just fine this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Red Sox probably fan base, probably the one fan base that you said it was hard to hate the Yankees. They still managed to do it in 2017 for sure. Uh, the for ML sure. <laughs> the MLB pipeline group uh, crew continues to put out their top 10 positional rankings uh, and the Yankees checking in again. Justice Sheffield was one of the left-handed pitchers. Now the second basemen are out and Nick Solak checks in. Uh, number five he ranks on the list. Uh, second base is an interesting position um, from a prospect standpoint because you usually don't see as many of these guys into that top 10 prospects that's filled with shortstops and center fielders and right-handed pitchers. Uh, but it's always good to be on the top 10 list for a position. Solak, 23 years old right now. Uh, he was a second-round pick out of Louisville back in 2016. And I feel like all the big-name prospects the Yankees have had in the system coming through here, he's one that you don't really hear a lot about, but he's still being noticed. Yeah, Yankee fans might not know this name, but they should. They should get to know Nick Solak because he is quickly ascending through the farm system. Uh, last year was his first full pro season. He started the year down in Tampa, played 100 games there, finished up in Trenton, and and both of his pro seasons, he's had an LPS of about 850. So this is a kid who puts the bat on the ball. You know, they'd like to see him cut down on his strikeouts a little bit, and maybe his fielding. Uh, he made 17 errors last year at second base. But he's a converted corner outfielder. He was playing the outfield at Louisville. Uh, the Yankees have moved him to the infield. They really do see his future at second base. And this is an interesting guy to have in the system. You know, we, we talk a whole lot about how maybe Glaber Torres is going to start the year as a second baseman. Uh, he's obviously moved around from shortstop to third base, and he is the Yankees' top position player prospect. But uh, I think that Solak, for a lot of fans uh, who know Rob Refsnyder and have been in his corner for a while, uh, Solak may be a notch better than Refsnyder. So this is a guy who might come up to the big leagues as soon as this year, probably next year, and contribute in some fashion. Uh, I, I think that he is definitely one to watch. The coaches and front office executives who have seen him, they are excited about him. He's a kind of a hard-nosed guy who goes out there. They, people have described him as a gamer. So this is certainly somebody that the Yankees would be happy to have on their, their big league roster if the time comes for that. One more thing for you. Eduardo Nunez started his major league career with the Yankees, uh, played four years, I think, total with the Yanks. Uh, was traded to the Twins, and then his career kind of took off after that. Never really got it going with the Yankees, but John Heyman reporting over the weekend that the Yankees could have some interest in bringing him back to the Bronx, and it would be a move that makes a lot of sense. It's a veteran guy. Uh, he fits into that infield, and he fits into a lot of spots. So when you look at that Yankees infield where you're kind of biding some time for prospects and not all the spots are filled, seems like a veteran like Nunez that can do so many things and play around would be a, a perfect addition, really. It is funny to hear Eduardo Nunez referred to as a, a veteran because I, I remember Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter always giving him a hard time and riding him and uh, you know really giving him the rookie treatment. So for him to be a respected veteran now makes me laugh a little bit but he's a different player than he was with the Yankees I think that he really needed an opportunity to play regularly uh, as you mentioned his versatility he's been an all-star um, I think that he can help the Yankees out in a lot of different ways and Brian Cashman has said that they're willing to go forward with what they have right now and what they have right now would probably be some combination of Torres Ronald Torres Tyler Wade at second base Miguel Andahar at third you know maybe Wade and 
Uh, Torres could fill in a little bit of third as well, as well as Torres. But um, I think that if you can add a more experienced option like that, then you don't have to push a couple of rookies into your opening day lineup. And I, I, I tend to believe that Torres is going to start the year in, in AAA anyway and probably come up at some point in mid-April or early May. But this would uh, definitely give them an insurance policy in the event that uh, they want to keep him down in the minors a little bit longer. And it never hurts to have a guy who's been there and done that. And he obviously came up through the Yankee system. He knows the pedigree. He knows the uh, the lay of the land there. So I think that if they were to sign Nunez, if they could get him at a decent contract, uh, he would slide right in and it would be almost like he never left. Great stuff as always, Brian. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Yankees edition. For Brian Hoke, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.